are we going to start this one? I'm holding in my hand a red cup, but it's not the red cup you might think. It's like a red pill red cup. A red pill red cup. Uh, if somebody was coming here from 1923, you got to explain that to them. Well, here's the thing, and we're more like the Matrix. So in the Matrix lore, there's the red pill and the blue pill. Do you, do you know the difference? Uh, let's just say I don't. Okay. Well, one of them takes you down the rabbit hole, and one of them does not. One of them sends you back into the Matrix, blissful, unaware, and in this case, unaware of Hattie B's chicken in Charleston, South Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia. That's a legit way to transport yourself to another world. I mean, holy cow. It was the best fried chicken I've ever had. I've been a couple places. There's the OG one in part of Atlanta, and then I was at another part of Atlanta for some college visits with my son. That's enough reason to live in Atlanta. Talking about chickens and rabbit holes, that's a good way to start any podcast. So this is The Punch Up, and it's just the two of us today, which is kind of an interesting format. So let's see what happens. Let's start with red pills and see if we can get to the other side of the matrix. So we've been talking to folks in the Beltway. I'm not all that accustomed to speaking to people of this ilk. And it's been fascinating to see their perspectives on the world, the globe, the universe. Yeah. And this is where you live. This is this is your space. Explain it to me. Like, why? <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. That's, so I I want to ask you also to think about what your experience has been. But I'll tell you mine. I struggle to put into words, normal human words, what it feels like to live in the crunch. And that's an inter. That's I'm I'm, I'm now sort of describing the experience of it as if I was red pilled out of it. Right. You have to be so attentive to the words you say. There is definitely a turf-mindedness. That's even a word. Like, what is mine and what I'm responsible for and what program or project I own or what portfolio I manage or what equities I have in this. Those are all words we use. But why I love studying language and communication and, and try to stay sane and get out of that matrix as often as I can is because that's a kind of a contrived world. It's not exactly in sync with the reality that it's trying to protect or lead or serve or, you know, the things that Washington does. So Michael Jordan shouldn't be a, a point <laughs> guard because he's six, six. Talk to me. What do you mean by that? Like, um, Hey, play your, play your position, buddy. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why? Yeah, exactly. you're, you're too tall. You're supposed to be under the net. Exactly. What I think the the choice is that people make when they come into Washington, and I'm going to stick on this red pill, blue pill thing, because I, I think it's actually, ironically, like the matrix is a good way of describing it. So All right. So, so back matrix, up. So back yeah. up for a second. So the so I've seen the matrix. I get it. There's a there's yeah. a whole thing about it. There's the red pill, the blue pill, all this, the, the, the really cool dude who gives you the pill and all that stuff. But let's say I haven't bought into it. Explain to me what yeah. you mean. Right. So to be in the matrix of Washington is to, and I'm 20 plus years into it. And in the beginning of my career, I started in sort of venture capital incubating tech companies, which is its own language. You're thinking about return on investment, that stuff. 
So the matrix is where the where the language is. Like you're in this little box, which is a matrix. It's a separate world from the real world. Is that? Yeah, I mean, linguistically, yes. I mean, it's not separate because the decisions that happen in Washington matter. Um, people count on federal agencies to provide services. Health and Human Services supports CDC and FDA and NIH. Those are all words for us that mean really large things. And those large things are like covering the drugs and development of drugs, covering, covering, that's even that word, right? Covering disease prevention, COVID stuff came out of CDC, as we all know, preventing the next one, doing research. NIH is a lot about cancer research, so mental you're saying, health. Uh, COVID came from the CDC? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Covering. Sorry. Yeah. Well, so the word COVID <laughs> might have come from CDC. No way. Right. Sure. I don't know. I'm just saying that's one of the things. I was just wondering if we were diving into conspiracy theories here. I was, I was, this, well, this would have been a first. Well, if we're going to do the matrix, we've got to bring the conspiracy theories in. And and I'm I'm well-versed enough. So let me take a, another step back to complicate things even more. And then we'll get in, right? Think of the layers of an onion. At the center of the onion is the White House hmm. and Congress, and less so, but fundamentally the Supreme Court. The, their presence is real. So you have our, our, our tripartite system, checks and balances. So... My undergraduate degree is politics, but my very first day in college, I'll tell you a story. You want a story or, or sure. do you have any more questions? I'm just rambling. Stories this is important good. to answer the question. First day in college, young Mark, yeah. he's holding a red cup, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I'm still in the blue pill world for those who follow the matrix. I haven't seen, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole. And this is the, the rabbit hole comes to me in this way. My very first class at Catholic University, my very first day as a politics, and they didn't call it political science then. They were very careful to call it art, like an art, like a, like a performing art even. And that mattered at the time. Like I, I vibed with that. So the politics, U.S. politics class that I had first was like five times as big as the second class I had, political philosophy. So you can imagine a bunch of desks in a row kind of like a classical, traditional classroom. You have the teacher in the front. And Professor John White, the first thing he says, U.S. Politics 101, he says, American government is about who gets what, when, where, and how. And he proceeded to basically explain, if you're going to go work in Washington, what you really need to know is the inner workings of this who gets what system, quid pro quos, trade-offs, working, how, how agencies that have turf work together, and that that's how the system was designed. So, so that's class one, day one. And I'm like, that sucks. That sounds so like Machiavellian and slimy and sleazy. Like, what is this, a lobbying class? But it was much bigger than my second class. So my second class, Dr. Stephen Schneck teaches it. And 13 to 20 students, I mean, I can't, in a circle around him, sort of hushed, smaller classroom. It's kind of danker and darker in this corner, political philosophy 101. He says, politics is a profound tension between idealism and realism. Ooh. But it's also a profound tension in our system of government. And then he spent a lot of time talking about the thinking behind the design. So you have 
in my mind now, this tension between who gets what, like playing the game and the design. And I'll tell you, man, from then till now, I have been fascinated with this difference. I've been almost obsessed with the difference between politics as designed and politics as practiced. And let me take it one level further, like where at this moment, I'm, I'm, as you know, editing a manuscript that we have developed through the skeleton method, which has been amazing. It's getting out of me these types of stories when my mind flips back and forth between We'll just call it the world of political interest, the who gets what, and the world of political uh, design. And that systematic view or systemic, not even systematic, systemic or systems view, like one is the instrument, the other is playing the instrument. So that's that's a good way of describing it. The, the difference is the who gets what is very much what went into the Constitution. Joseph Ellis, who wrote the book Founding Brothers, is one of the foremost scholars on the founding of the country, at least popularly, right? Like he's taught classes, he's had books, he's not wonky in a way that is hard to follow. He really analyzes the relationships and the, the sort of the details. And he was really clear that spirit of 1776 and the spirit of 1787 like when the Constitution was drafted and ratified versus when the Declaration of Independence told the world the grievances that the U.S. had and why it was time, like on moral, reasonable bounds to break away from the colonial system. Those two spirits kind of represent the play the game. I don't want to say Machiavellian, but I'll, I'll just say overly pragmatic, calculative. That's a good word calculating system and then this more ideal hey we have these rights we now are exercising those rights to create a government in our image not the king's image all the way overseas so what's super important about that finally is diversity equity and inclusion concern about racism what frederick Douglass said when was reflecting on his interactions with president lincoln he said the Declaration is a liberty document. In other words, the design is sound, even for a self-emancipated slave. The original design is sound. I can vibe with these ideals. This coming back to Jordan in a minute. And Jazz, don't worry, brother, I'm coming back. But the, the Constitution, by having the three-fifths clause, by punting till 1800 on the slavery question, showed this other calculative spirit in the American system. And those two things, the calculative playing the the instrument the who gets what i'm gonna go get mine that is alive and well and that is part of the matrix for sure and it's in the natural design the framers put it there right they didn't there was a cowardice but also they didn't have the power to go from the articles of confederation to the constitution and wave a magic wand and say thou shalt but they also as ellis said didn't work as hard as they could have to eradicate slavery. And they kicked it, the can to future generations. And this is why I've been fascinated with generations, because decisions made then, design decisions, have just sort of rolled forward. And we're dealing with them. And that's that's what calculative thinking or this who gets what piece still feels slimy and gross and part of the matrix. And this other design side of my mind is like, no, there. 
the entrepreneurial side that wants to make the settings work properly, when I hear or read Frederick Douglass said, now this was like a Liberty document. I can see how our experience on the basketball court, white and black kids, Hispanic, Asian, like we were all just kids. It wasn't, we weren't aware of this class status as status as much. We're just playing ball, right? That's, that's a basketball to me is a metaphor of the melting pot. Like that's the ideal that we're still striving for that when I'm, when I'm playing basketball or when I was playing basketball and when I think about the design of the system that Dr. Schneck said, and the other guy was performing in a way he was, he was mocking that that's the way that it works. But bro, like, listen to me, I'm, how long have I been talking all of this? Like I've been sorting through ever since that was my red pill experience. It's like, and I'm still living in that every day I go to work and I'm like, we're not doing this thing as it was designed, but I'm like one guy. So the punch up is of course me and you saying, well, what one, what can, what maybe one guy, maybe two, but I tend to believe, and I'm convinced that people would go down the rabbit hole and learn and have learned how the founding of our system works. They would spend time on it if it was easy enough and they would want to work the design the way it wants. A lot of people and a lot of people are just happy to turn the system into something that churns out for them the goodies, money, influence, power, status, a platform, whatever. And that inside Washington, there's a simple way to say that, K Street. That whole calculative thing like K Street, the lobbyists, that, that's one whole field <laughs> of discussion inside the matrix. And we haven't even talked about my area, defense or intelligence or health. So it is this condensed, compacted language world that I've had to use all of these crazy books over all these years of understanding how communication is supposed to function so that it's not so calculative, so it's more pure and doing what we're doing what we're supposed to with the system that's been given to us, which I think is a sacred gift. Now I'll I'll punch in right there. That's my vibe, brother. Yeah, punch in. So doing something with what you've been given, I, I find really interesting if we're if we're looking at so actually I don't talk too much about where my sort of academic study was. Please, but my study was in music. In the music, you've got John Coltrane, mm. who uh, he didn't invent bebop. Mm. Uh, Charlie Parker and some others were the guys who figured out that you just turn seven notes into eight, and all of a sudden you can do some crazy shit. Pardon my French. That's what it was. But Coltrane, yeah. the legend is, he went in his closet, really uh, quiet space, and he mm -hmm. just fingered the notes all night long, figuring out how mm -hmm. to make it work. He learned the design, he figured out the design, but then mm -hmm. he sat on mm -hmm. stage and he practiced. And I don't mean he practiced it to sound good, as in like your kid has to practice the instrument. No, he put that design to practice. He mm -hmm. flowed, he played, he yeah. wowed people. Another one, Beethoven. Mm -hmm. Beethoven broke shit. Now that I've swore once, I might as well do it again. Yeah. Let's do it. Beethoven stretched the classical period so hard that literally they changed the name of the period in the middle of Beethoven's life. They changed it to the Romantic period. And Beethoven continued to write classical era music well into the Romantic period because he was so far ahead of everybody else and so crazy. He was almost writing 20th century music back in the beginning of wow. the 19th century. 
such a genius, such a ridiculous, crazy person who didn't empty his chamber pot underneath his piano and was almost deaf or fully deaf, but such an innovator because he took the design, mm. the perfect design of classical music, the way that classical music is supposed to be. And he's like, how can I push this to its, to its utmost limit and wow people for, and it's been centuries yeah. later, we know who this guy is. So that's wonderful. The concept of design versus practice. What an interesting yep. thing. And I just wanted to go back to basketball and I'll push it back to you because yeah. Naismith, Please. right? Naismith created this thing, yeah. basketball. Yeah, right. The peach basket and the rafters. That's the design, right? Yeah. Simple. He came up with this really cool thing. What is it now? What did Jordan do to it? He broke it. <laughs> broke it. He broke it. So did Wilt Chamberlain. So did a lot of these people, right? They broke it in a cool way. But in that practice, I don't know, is that, is that the matrix? Well, so... So I love this. So, so you said in a cool way. Let me double tap on that. So Joel Dinerstein, hope I pronounced his name correctly. I read his book a couple times on, I think it's called Existential Cool in the, 20th, in the 1950s or something. But the point of his book is cool has two flavors to it. And this is one of the motivators for breaking a system. A cool facade is you go in, Maybe let's go. I'm going to go back. To, I'm going to keep this reference point the calculative American political system caps, right? No, that's bad. That's what Washington <laughs> does. They come over. So, but, but calculative is a word Heidegger used. I've been dwelling on that. He, he uses that word to describe what happened after the Greeks. So that would Heidegger, be Heidegger, an American patriot. Yeah, gosh, that guy's terrible in a Nazi supporting sense, but people still call him the best philosopher of the 20th century because he broke philosophy. He did the same thing. And back to my point about cool, there's an existential cool and a superficial cool. Superficial cool is, is I'm just wearing these clothes. It's I, everyone wore the starter jacket when I was a kid, right? But there were some kids and my best friend growing up, or it was like our crew, right? He, he was the, the founder of our crew. He was this guy who's kind of larger than life black, fun, funny, hilarious, kind of a genius, and he rapped. So his version of cool, he was always thinking about the other side, which is existential cool is, hey, man, it's hard out here. Dudes are getting shot. Dudes are getting killed. Dudes are getting locked up. And they're also, those are the kids that I was playing basketball with. And they were normal kids. They, they, I knew their moms and dads, right? But for whatever reasons, various reasons, some of them their own bad choices. Some of them, things are pushed on them. All the things we talk about in terms of privilege and inclusion and affirmative action, like those laws that have just sort of been rescinded um, or expired, I forget the mechanism. Point being, we were all in that melting pot. And the other side of cool, which we were very aware of, we didn't have a word for it until I read Dinerstein, it didn't all click. It was when Lester Young became aware, self-aware that jazz was a way basically to say, fuck you to the man. Mm -hmm. I own this shit. This is mine. This is my voice. And it's in the spirit of Frederick Douglass self-emancipating, running from upstate New York. Gosh, where was he? His own, like, his own publication. And he became kind of like Benjamin Franklin did, the spokesman for the colonists. He became the spokesman for abolition and a certain perspective. 
that is different than the cool of I'm following along what everyone's doing. That's what makes you calculative. So the word cool to me has Before two, we go ed- that, two edges. I feel like yeah, you yeah, need to ahead. explain to us better. So there's this kid, Fideli, Mark Fideli, yep. Yep. who's a kid, and he's wearing a starter jacket, which is cool. Nope, I wouldn't wear. No, I would not wear a starter jacket. No, because everyone else Interesting. did. Interesting, but yep. you had you had some kind of privilege. I had my Jordans. Right. Nice. Okay, and your I and your dad had your privilege. dad was a coach. You were upper middle class, middle class. Middle class, yeah. He worked nice. in the government. I was like dead center. Like we didn't have all these means, but I lacked nothing. So that so what I think so what's lacking for me in this story is yeah, you're talking about race. You're talking about yeah. growing, playing this melting pot that's on the that's on the the basketball, basketball court. court. Before we keep yep. moving from that, I want to understand those two pieces of cool from you more directly, because you're looking at this guy who's just I assume had swagger, had cool, yeah. And then you saw these other guys who were wearing a starter jacket. It's a different kind of cool. Yeah, right. So the generative cool, let's use a, an AI word. It's popular. He freestyled. He like rapped on command. Incredible, right? Like we were dumbfounded. And then, you know, we'd be driving around and we'd be like, over to you. He'd put on like instrumental beat. This is just like a thing. He called us white boys the N word, right? Like y'all ends. He generated so much life and energy that forced us i mean my one of my really good friends who similarly grew up with a lot of black friends when we were growing up black kids were the coolest because they could say things about teachers they could say things about sex they could say things about the world that we thought but would never say right Mm -hmm. and he did it all the time so the other type of cool is you're just like looking around i hope i'm accepted let me what everybody else is wearing i'm gonna wear it there is a generative element like, hey, I'm part of this. I'm not part of my own families. Like my mom's not dressing me anymore. I'm picking my own clothes. I have my own identity. But it was still a follower I've never identity. Qu- I've never quite understood this from you, but we've talked about it yeah. so many times. Directly from that spot where you're sitting in the car where this guy yeah. affectionately says, you're one of us, using right. that word what do you in do some way. That? but. Yeah. But that for you was gold because you wanted to be because that was real cool. Just like Jordan was real cool to you as a kid. Makes sense. But what, how does that how does that tell me that I can understand government and I can understand global positioning? The American system made a pact with the devil. Frederick Douglass called it the slave power. The interests of those who wanted to perpetuate slavery. The three-fifths clause, punting until 1800, the decision on slavery, ending the slave trade, but not like a lot to do with the slave states. All of that history is black history in a way that's very direct. And why is it a pact with the devil? Because the pact with the devil is you get something in return. Is that the, the wealth that the country accrued on the back of slavery? Or what is, what's that pact? I well, so I'm going to go off Joseph Ellis, who knows this better than me, and I've listened super carefully for what his take is on this, and I've read Gordon Wood, definitely Cherno's book on Hamilton, fascinating. I mean, what Linwell Men will, what Lin Manuel Miranda did with Hamilton surfaced so many facets of this. So let me let me say it like this: What I believe the frame, my knowledge of the framers, is that they all thought differently. So who am I talking about specifically? Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, Madison, Hamilton. That's really the core. 
There are a couple other, John Jay, he part was part of the Federalist Papers. He wrote like two, then got sick. Aaron Burr was the, the foil, which is also the foil in Hamilton. Yeah, so he's fascinating. He really was the calculator of the bunch. What they had to do, I they they envisioned, this is Gordon Wood, they envisioned a Republican form of government like Rome before the empire as the ideal. And borrowing from Greek thought, the polis was this place where individuals come out of their home and you're a head of household out into the world. And those those men wanted a system that worked. And deep down, I think many of them believed that all are indeed created equal. But John, James, Matt, James, uh, John Adams said it maybe most bluntly, there will always be class distinctions. It's just part of life. So they yielded the question. They didn't embrace slavery, in my understanding, to make money. They weren't calculating in that most crass of K Street ways, let's just bend the political system, Citizens United or whatever, to, to bend it to make money for us. No, it was sacrosanct to them. It really was. I believe that. I have no reason to not believe that. But the pact with the devil was, we can't go from Articles of Confederation to Constitution as we design it without ratification. You can't ratify it in the southern states without yielding on this concern because we don't have enough power as a central government under the Articles or even under the Constitution to enforce the end of the slave trade or the end of slavery. They didn't have the power to do it. Now, Ellis says maybe they could have, but that was the calculation. That's the pact with the devil. That's a deep dive. That's a rabbit hole discussion that I'm, I think both of us feel uncomfortable in somewhat and fascinating. Yeah, I'm a white fat. I mean, yeah, totally but agree. But let me, let me spin it. Let's, let's literally almost like a, a movie go out yeah. in the distance and now look back the other direction and say from here forward. Yeah. I think a lot of your strategy with the American, the American strategy, the way you see it. Yeah. You're saying, can we look at race from now forward? Yeah. And with that history, and say the in this American weird system mm-hmm. that has been developed on the backs of some of that slavery and coming to understanding of what we've been doing, but also jazz, but also basketball, but yeah. also pop culture, but also how we lead the world, both of those things, the bad and the good. How do we help the globe going yeah. into the future with that American strategy? Am I interpreting you wrong? No, you thank you. That's that, you're platforming me, and I appreciate it. <laughs> T-ball. It's T-ball. Yeah, I'm just, right, just right. setting up. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm quaking a little bit because for a white guy to talk about race issues, to be conscious that my boys, and a lot of people say this, you know, call white boys the N-word, like, y'all ends this, y'all ends, like, that's a normal way in hip-hop to talk. But what he meant, and it's what, well, Tribe Called Quest, right? Like, so when Q-Tip said, it's a term of endearment, there's a way to be an ally. But there's also a way to be a strategist about it. Like an ally to me is is legit cheerleading, helping, supporting, like BLM and other movements. Even if there's flaws, the end goal is to take this human energy that's moving towards a, a state of full equality, a feeling of equality. Like it's up to black people to say, now we feel whole here. They say that. We don't say that. Allies get that out of the way. 
like get things. When out you of the say way. it's up to them, you mean at some day in the future it will be great if or when no, this happens. I, I'm saying it's an ongoing process, and it's happened, and it's happening. So when Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass emancipated himself, he dug down deep by himself on the basis of his own human dignity and said, "F all this." And right now we look back, and that is cool as hell. But for him, that was hell to go through that. I will, I'm not going to say in a future state, he achieves equality at that moment. Well, first of all, equality is a given. I believe the spirit of 76, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it goes on to say the government is formed legitimately. This is why we can say no more England. This is about us. Anybody that, that is human fundamentally has that right. Men, men, women, diverse. Men, women, children, everyone. The whole rainbow. Period. Full stop. They are entitled to, in our system, every single benefit, including being in the room where it happens when the decisions are made. That's the strategic difference. So let me let me pause you here because this this is what I think is so interesting about the way the world. So I'm I'm also an expat. I, don't, I live outside the U.S. Yeah, but and the way the world sees the way the world sees the United States is yeah. two faced. It's both yeah. at the same time. It's exactly. they hate us and they love us. They love our culture. They hate the way we act at times. Yeah, they actually they hate our they hate our racism, but they yeah. love our race friendliness so yeah. it's this it's this yeah the culture that we've adopted where it is yeah. multicultural but at the same time we are racist and we're vocal about it it's yeah. fascinating but i wanted to pause you there for a second and say like in the global world what is the american strategy so the american strategy is a story first of all about the american experiment in other words, the execution of the design, the fulfillment of the original design and the spirit that's in everyone for a life that expresses our equality, that protects our equality, that has peace and a chance to flourish. It's maybe an Edenic Garden of Eden view, right? But, but that's, that's we feel we want to strive towards that. So the story of using American design, the American experiment, the form of government, federalism, tech checks and balances – all the ways that it was designed to interoperate. If you view that as the red pill, right? Like you understand how it works. You go down the rabbit hole, you learn it to then look out and say, oh, there should have been women at the founding more vocal. There should have been black voices. We can't change history. So that puts us in this dichotomy. And what's also interesting is that there's a whole way of looking at our kids who are native to gender fluidity, they're native to digital everything, they're native to mediating between people uh, or being mediated by texting and devices. It's hard for them to go talk to somebody in the normal way. Like they're, they're different natives. And so the American strategy is about we're handing off something from an age of reason and, and literacy, meaning the framers read a ton of old books and thought about ancient Rome, right? Like that was present in their mind. And they, they, they wrote so many letters to each other. I have this stack of books. They were ultra literate and their awareness came from that. But they had huge blind spots because they didn't have a full perspective in their major design decisions and their execution decisions. The American strategy is about, to me, 
a story that we tell ourselves and tell our kids about how we steward the American experiment in each generation. And I believe our generation's task is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-everything decision inclusion. If you are a human, you are made in God's image, you have a right to have your voice represented in the decisions that get made. And it is good strategy to have this melting pot elevate the best thinking, to crowdsource more ideas, right? Like things that emerge from us are jazz, basketball, the constitution itself, the declaration, black and white, like relations, as you said, all those things that people love, that sort of generates from the, the actual cool that we are. We want an existential reality. We want a lived experience to be what we feel when we hear for the first time the words of the Declaration of the Gettysburg Address. It's mythic. It goes all the way down to like the core of being human. Like No wonder people think it's a sacred text or America's like a Christian nation. It vibes with those same feelings. Now, I don't think that it is, but it's compatible. It should be. So, so let me punch in there yeah, and say I, I get it. I flow with this. I think this is yeah. this is a great vision. And you said earlier, you said there's the instrument and there's playing the instrument, which yeah. of course I I just was thinking about Stradivarius for a second. Yeah, that's good. So there's this great legend around this person and these instruments that he made, these particularly these violins, right, that are so yeah. famous and they're so yeah. expensive and they are extraordinary instruments. One of the worst concerts I've ever heard had one of them in it. I won't say where it was and when, but it was terrible because someone played a Stradivarius and the rest of the people didn't. Oh, the dissonance. So what happened is, well, it wasn't even dissonance. It was mm. beauty, the sheer beauty of, of the Well, but there was a dissonance between the sheer beauty yeah. of the Stradivarius and the normalcy of the rest of the instruments. That's what I mean, yeah, right. So there's this instrument mm. and then there's the playing of the instrument which I find so interesting, this concept yeah. that you have of, yes, the founders created something. Okay, I always hear about the founders, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of white men. It's, that's Stradivarius. Stradivarius created a fucking beautiful violin. Feel you. Yeah, keep going. That's good. But now, but what now, are we doing? But now. That's <laughs> right? right. Like, what but do you now. do with it? Yeah, and what do digital people do with it? So, so here's the punch-up, the simplest way of saying it. The baby boomer generation went down the calculating path and are still on it. And those damn octogenarians now, my parents and their generation, I love them. And I hate what they're doing to the Stradivarius. I hate it. It's absurd. It's obscene. It's wrong. It's embarrassing. It projects to the world that we don't have our shit together. And when we are supposed to have a national strategy of integrated deterrence, and we're disintegrating our system, that's what people see. We're not playing the instrument. We're not so interpret that to normal humans, normal humans. Okay. Running the day-to-day -day work of government, meaning getting checks out for social security, having a diplomatic corps that's staffed well enough to go run the embassies that we have and interface with the rest of the world, getting budgets passed on time, moving from a continuing resolution to sort of a full budget and authorizing government actors, agents, political appointees, and myriads of government employees, contractors, FFRDCs, researchers, and such, 
moving them in a direction to go execute government in the service of all their mission areas. That whole executive branch thing should be played like an orchestra. Our representative system should be representing those government interests back to the people explaining what they do, and they should guide and advise the president and those branch members through Congress of what our values are. And that should be a dialogue. That would be playing the Stradivarius correctly. So that So that that makes me that makes yeah. me want to punch in there again and say you Go talk about it. Michael Jordan all the time. We forget how many triple doubles that dude had. Yeah. So okay, so let me talk about Jordan, my man. When I was growing up, I felt watching him and then hearing like Mike. So let me connect this. The N-word applied to us, be like Mike. We were invited in. There was a solicitousness. This is my new word right now. There, there was a solicitousness. Come, come understand, but but understand. And to, say, what, and to say that word itself is a dividing word, but when it was used towards you, now it wouldn't be yeah. used the same way, but especially in exactly. the 90s when it was used towards you, it was an inclusion word to you. Term of endearment. That's, that's mm. what Q-Tip himself said. I'm only saying, quoting what was said. I'm not, yeah. To your point, though, so what did MJ do? MJ was the flow. You could see it. And he had two things going for him that I think are unique, that I think the digital generation lost. This is a basketball, so let me get back. So I played basketball at Watkins Mill High School where I've met my friend Kurt, Kurt Allen. Kurt Kennedy is a rapper. That's his rapper moniker. He's out there. He's my boy, right? He's my best man. Group of friends, my buddy John Gotti, my man, uh, D Domino pitch doc, right? Kurt named all of us, right? Like he was in a flow state all the time in high school. Like we were just following a, like this amazing guy, Jordan, same thing. He, unlike a lot of guys now, I think, and the way the sport world is set up after AAU, I think this is the heart of LeBron MJ debate. MJ got all those rings. He had coaching and the assist and these coaches where he kind of loved to be under the system, in the system. Dean Smith, I mean, the, the movie Air gets it. Like he had something inside of him, but he was, I think it was his mom and dad. Like he was submitted to the coaching, which is wild when you think about being, quote, submitted to the system around you. And that system includes racism and all these things. Like this, this is the difficulty and the necessity of my vision of our story, the American strategy, this thing we're writing about ourselves. When you have a system that people enter into, black people particularly, because that's they're native here in a unique way, finding their footing, inviting us in. My sister's, you know, biracial. So I've been invited in and I have to listen and be a brother in a way to this story. And MJ was in the triangle offense under Ted Winter, Phil, they executed flawlessly. They played the Stradivarius and they trusted the system given to them. They weren't doing what AAU does, which is just play ball and kind of feel your way through with here's the pick and roll, here's the, the drive and dish. Like there's a lot of plays. There's something about, in my view, this might be a bias, a system under which Jordan played, Pippen knew his role, and they followed these roles in an orchestration 
that was unbeatable. Jordan was never one man. That For was me, his. that's the Stradivarius concept. So literally, yes. Jordan is a Stradivarius violin level person, but he played it in such a way that he did the triple-double. If somebody else was going to execute, he was going to pass it. If nobody stepped up, he freaking did it. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Win means team and it means me at my max. And balancing that, that's the skill set. That's that's it. All right. So to close us up, this yeah. going to be a nice, short, beautiful, weird-ass episode. I love it. Close us up on the American strategy because, yeah, yeah. because. Okay. So the American strategy is a book that I'm writing. Will be. Right. Yeah. Will be. Uh, I'm, I'm right now, as soon as we hang up the phone here, I'm going to get back to my edits. The phone? Yeah, right? Okay, what phone? I got a, What's a phone? I got a phone cord here. <laughs> it's Rotary. Exactly. Nice. So the American strategy is an attempt to move our thinking from calculative to truly strategic so that we can play the system we were given to do the things that need to be done now more efficiently. So if we agree that our story is being handed off to digital natives in a more digital world. Ian Bremmer's recent TED Talk just said, geopolitically, we have three big things happening, right? Globalization, we have the global security world, we have this economic world and this digital world. Digital is disrupting the whole thing. It's apocalyptic in the sense that it's, it's like another world breaking into the present world the same way Beethoven broke in the same way rap broke in. It brings this whole other order into effect. The same way, same way Jordan uh, jumped from the free throw line, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It is in the act of doing things, not thinking about and talking about things and not controlling other people. Government leaders need to lead. They need to go do things with the power entrusted with them and there needs to be top cover in Congress to debate the issues and say, all right, play by the rules. You guys won this election. We back you. Let's go do a thing. Maybe we'll resist in these certain areas, but get the freaking job done. Go execute. Play the Stradivarius. If the Department of Labor is in the lead, they go do the thing. We give them the resources they need. If, the, if there's another pandemic, all right, CDC. And now what's missing is, the American people are from bots, from our own hearts and minds and our own craziness and weirdness, thinking our government is basically, I don't know if it's reptilians this week. Like, There's a whole world of crazy thoughts that are guiding people's thinking about their own government. One of the best books or mm -hmm. podcast series is about the, uh, it's called charismatic revival fury about the new apostolic reformation there's a whole feed of this that i'm very familiar with that i i won't weigh into it now it's for another topic but the point is conspiracy theories go deep into our culture because we're free to think and do and speak how we want right it's it's intrinsic to our system but leaders should be able to cut through that noise and strategically communicate in a way to get people to vibe with, flow with what decisions need to be made. And if black people can call our system a liberty system, can, can opt in, then everyone should. If it was on their backs, so the American strategy is pivoting off of that ally mode, 
Black people get what America is in a different way because it was imposed on them wrongly. So if we peel that off and say, what's great about it, what makes this their home, and listen, really listen, then there's new wisdom in there for us. And I would say Asians, Chinese Americans, who China is putting the crackdown on all Chinese throughout the world to be loyal to the Chinese Communist Party, they have something unique to say. Mexico, Latin America, sort of like we talked about with Tom Barnett, this North-South, there's stories everywhere. The American strategy has to be a place where the stories come together to do the work of governing because there's too much shit to do. What I love about this, we got to close up. What I love about this is it's just like Mark's mind. This wants to keep going and going and going. And that's the point. We want this to roll forward. We want to make some change. We want to see some differences. I can't wait to see who we're talking to next week and the people the next several weeks. But Mark's book is going to be coming early next year. I'm excited to see this American strategy take shape. And there's uh, right behind it, American Strategy Press, which is named for the book that's coming out. Yeah, real quick. And I'm I'm trying to move to the left, the production timeline, because the 2024 election cycle to me is so important. So I launched American Strategy Press a little early because the book's not out yet. It's I'm trying to bring it out. But the American Strategy Press is a place for people who barrier to entry to turn their great book idea into an actual book that they can use to talk with, to get out of their heads, to physically get in their hands, to publish it. The low barrier to entry to just publish a great book allows us to find great authors who have really their story ready, and we want to help them get it out. And if it's serious or heartfelt or authentic, that's the point. Not conforming to the calculative thinking of the production world. That's on the wrong side of this equation, right? Like the words cannot come out exactly right. It's okay. The editorial side of like, in my mind, my editor is in the matrix. It's always telling me I'm saying things wrong. I'm doing it wrong. Back to it's blue pilled. Still, we want authors who will get their thoughts out in their voice and we will engage them in a diverse way. We do ask or hope that they will consider themselves part of the great American story, not hate on it, not trash it, not think it's stupid, but critique it and critique it as deep as you can. And here's the point. Here's why George is so important. If you practice harder than the game, my buddy Alan Stein, when we were played basketball at Watkins Mill High School, and, and, and I've stayed in touch with him, he said this all the time. And he went on to have a great basketball career and coached some amazing players with really specialized coaching. This is the point. If you practice harder than the game, if you're harder on each other in the clubhouse, on the court, if you're harder in practice than the game, then you set yourself up to succeed. In the military world, that's called mission readiness. Readiness. That's what this is about. I I want the American Strategy Press to be about readiness. People read it and they're like, all right, I'm going to do my part in this thing, find my place on the wall and get after it. And that's as good as we can. That's the story. It goes on. And then we hand it off. Digital natives follow along. The few that even read books will take these very accessible, conversational books and be like, all right, I feel you. And then they go on and do their thing. Full stop. I like it. From cold-blooded reptile to warm-blooded books. I like this is a good discussion. So come check out uh, americastrategypress.com. Come back and listen to us next week. You never know what you might hear. 
Never know. Thanks, brother. Talk soon. Back to my red pill. Hattie Beans. 